Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022, ready to ride. Here's Chad and Nate. Anytime you get former pads on, we're excited. I mean, you have to understand you're going to get touched. <laughs> you know, it's and when you don't have the pads on, it, it's just so different. So just the contact at the line, the protection looks different. The run game looks different. The play passes look different. Everything looks different when those pads are on. Um, you know, with the full pads, uh, like when you put the pants on, it, it's more of a mental thing for those guys. They feel like it is game day. I mean, we get a lot of good work when we're just in shorts, too. Um, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm just excited now. All that is over, and now we can really work on the football action. Coach Hackett talking about his excitement level for today's practice in full pads. Yesterday we were teased a little bit, Nate, with uh, just a little bit of uh, padded work, shoulder pads, no uh, pants on at all. Yesterday, today will be full pads. So day six here at UC Health Training Center. Uh, Our analysis of Training Camp 2022, ready to ride, is presented by Elite Sportsbook. Uh, it's going to be a fairly hot one today, Nate, 91 yeah. degrees. Uh, so uh, a nice hot one for guys to come out in full pads, get fully lathered up here today. Fully lathered up. Kind of like I was fully lathered up last night playing some basketball, man. I had two games of basketball last night, Chad. I know we're talking about training camp. I know we're talking about the Broncos, but I'm going to tell you about the lather I got last night playing hoops. We're in the semifinals. We won the semifinal game. Immediately following it, we had to play the finals, immediately after. The team that we were playing in the finals, they played before us in the semifinal, but the team they were scheduled to play didn't show up. So they just got to have a little shoot-around, a little shoot-around, and uh, and then so they got to just just wait. And, uh, and, and so we played them in the finals, and then we ended up losing. But it was a good time. <laughs> I'm pretty sore today. I couldn't go to sleep last night because my adrenaline was through the roof. Um, so, so yeah, man, I'm happy to be here and watching these guys. I think they're going to be a little more um, stretched. It's going to be a little more strenuous than my basketball game last night right. versus a bunch of 40-year-old dudes. But, um, dude, I think yesterday what we saw, very similar to what we're going to see today. You think? Not a lot different. Because they're not taking tackling to the ground. Right. They're still fitting up. They're still thudding up and stuff like that. Like Coach Hackett just said, it's a psychological thing, right? You feel like you're in full pads. You feel like it's a game, even though you're not hitting in the legs. I mean, most guys aren't going to be wearing pads in their pants. Were you a pads in your pants guy out of practice when you went full pads? Uh, and what I mean by that, for those at home listening, you wear thigh pads and knee pads in your football pants. It used to be back in the day you had a girdle with hip pads and a butt pad in right. in high school. You get to actually had to do that in college as well. You, you did? Yeah, well, I think we did that in college. Oh, we did do it in college. Yeah, yes. and then you get to and then you get to the NFL and you don't have to wear the hip yeah. or the butt pads anymore. And a lot of guys just have wear the most minimal leg pads possible. You rare, you, uh, you barely see, you know, you rarely see those big bulky ones right. popping out. So the leg pads aren't a real big deal. Which is kind of crazy because, like, the dudes are bigger and stronger and faster. So you'd think you would need more padding there. Well, we went, you know, there was a phase where it was cool to not wear any pads at all in your pants. Uh, guys like Shannon Sharp went uh, padless on the lower body. Uh, then the league, uh, about four or five years ago, mandated everyone had to wear both knee and thigh pads. And then guys tried to figure out ways to make them as thin and as small as possible. So uh, suddenly all NFL training rooms had, like, a... Uh, a sand, uh, uh, a belt sander, where they could shave those pads down as thin as possible, so those guys who didn't like wearing pads in their pants could get away with uh, adhering to the rules, but still having as little on their lower body as possible. But now, the last two years, 
they've come up with those custom thigh pads where you can have a logo or your initials Ooh. or your numbers on those. So you'll get a chance to see those. Uh, I'm sure it'll be even more popular uh, this uh, football season. I believe there's a couple of companies who, who make those now, and I, I, apparently they are burning the midnight oil trying to get all that uh, custom gear ready for not, not just college and NFL guys, but high school kids are getting into these as well. So for, to answer your question about me, I just wore thigh pads. Uh, I never wore knee pads in practice or games. Uh, and the few times I got convinced by someone else on the roster, nah, man, we're not going to do any pads in our pants. No thigh pads, nothing. Somewhere in the first quarter, I would get a knee or an elbow Mm-mm. right in my thigh, right between the muscle. It would, like, go all the way down to the bone. It's just like, this is where I wear thigh pads. This is exactly where I wear thigh pads. Yeah, but what Hackett said was it's a psychological thing, right? You're in there um, putting on those game pants. Uh, obviously, the pants that you wear in the game are a little different than the practice full pad pants, but they're very tight. Uh, they're very constricted. You pull those things on, you know you're going out and playing f- some football. <laughs> it's true. You know what I mean? And so those guys are, as we speak, pulling those pants on in the locker room, going through their pre-practice routine. This is what we, or I'm sorry, uh, day six or seven? Six. Six, and so the soreness is starting to hit. Yep. These guys are actually sore. They're dealing with, a, a, a you know, bumps and bruises, not necessarily tweaks, but the receivers, they got hip flexor issues, they got hamstring tightness, groin tightness. You know, the linemen probably have. You can speak more to this, but the, as the training camp wears on, wh- what, are the, what are the things that start to bother you first? Shoulders and neck. Uh, if you're offensive lineman, defensive lineman, linebacker, because all those collisions, at some point you're going to get smash a finger pretty early here in camp when in a padded practice because your hand placement isn't good, your hand placement isn't honed up. So you're going to put your pad right on top of someone's helmet, then smash his helmet into your helmet and smash your finger along the way. It's all that kind of stuff that's uh, maybe not enough to restrict you from practicing, but just enough to make every little hit annoying and painful. Dang. (laughs) Dang. Um, There's a dude, uh, 720277, wants me to keep talking about basketball. He wants wants me to talk about my men's league. He wants me to give more details. I'm not going to do it. No, I want you to. No, I'm kidding. There's people complaining about it. Oh, I literally talked about it for 10 seconds, and you have people texting. Stop talking about your YMCA league, man. How'd you play? Oh, I played fine, but I was just trying to tease this. No, individual. I'm curious, though. Uh, that, I, before you transition yeah, actually, into, let's, let's, into leg pad lingo, yeah. I wanted to go back and circle back on your play last night. Okay, that's good, because let's draw it out and annoy these two individuals <laughs> who decided to get to their phones and text about it. Um, no, I played all right. Man, my shot isn't great. Uh, my touch around the rim isn't very good because I don't play a lot of basketball. But my rebounding, you know, the physical part of it is pretty right. good. Um I think I went two for three from the free throw line, which isn't bad. Uh, I was 0 for 4 from the free throw line a couple weeks ago, which wasn't good. Uh Um, And we played two games, so my fitness is getting better. Like, before when we would play one game, two 20-minute halves, I was done, dude. Like, five minutes in. Like, Uh the cardiovascular health is not as good as it used to be. Or fitness, I mean. Right. And so... Yeah, running down back, you know, back and forth, up and down the court is pretty hard. I was the only big man as well, so I had a bunch, me and a bunch of bunch of five ten, five nine guys. So I had to be the big guy and do all that dirty work. All right. Anyway, we won the semifinals, went to the finals. Do you want a play by play breakdown of, of that? Well, before we get into that, okay. you played with somebody that I think a lot of our listeners know. But yes, do you want to want to break that down? Well, yeah, Vic Lombardi. Okay, Vic and his brothers. So, and, and so they are a. A smaller uh, crew of dudes with tremendous stamina and energy. 
Vic is, Vic is 53. Yes. And he was diving on the floor. <laughs> they played hard. Dogs, talking crap. Yes. Talking crap to people on the side. Like, we almost got in a fight yes. last night, Chad. I've played enough with Vic in flag football games to know I don't want to play with Vic. That's, a, that's, that's my experience of walking away from that. Yeah. No, but he actually that, he, he hit some big threes and uh-huh. sparked a run that ended up being the difference in that first game. Uh, he plays with passion, man. You can't knock the passion. Um, and um, I've been playing basketball with Vic for a while. Like probably 50, Since I stopped playing, I, I've been playing with him over at the DAC, uh-huh. Denver Athletic Club downtown, beautiful facility. And um, but for a while my injuries were just wouldn't let me do it. But now I feel good enough to play a little basketball. And playoffs were last night. And uh, so, do you want me to keep going on this seven two zero two seven seven, or should we stop? Uh, All right. Here, here's the deal. Nathaniel Hackett um, said it's like a game today, a little bit. The way these guys are preparing, I heard a lot of accounts of yesterday as being a bad practice, as being a sloppy practice. I didn't think that. I actually thought it was a really good practice because it wasn't perfect. Because mm-hmm. you did have some mistakes. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. You get to coach those up. Right. You get to see where you went wrong. You get to tighten it up because a football game is going to be full of that crap. It's not going to be precise and crisp and everyone doing what they're supposed to be doing in a football game. A football game is going to look a lot more like yesterday did. So I like that. And I was thinking about why it looked like that compared to the previous days. Here comes the bass. Here comes the DJ. But... um it's the pads, man. When the pads and the helmet come on, it's a different ball game. Like we were talking about yesterday, Chad. You may have a song in your head that you're trying to memorize or you can't get out of your head. Someone punches you in the face, <laughs> that song's gone. <laughs> that thing you're thinking about is gone. And that's what happens out here. These guys, all of a sudden, they got the offense in hey, their man, mind. Hey, man, you stole my song. You punched me in the face, and I can't remember my song anymore, man. Exactly. So these guys are trying to remember their assignments and all that. Boom, they get smacked in the face. What, where was I supposed to do again? Oh, yeah, I'm in a fight now, so i got to defend myself. I think that's what you saw yesterday, but I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, I think the day off also had something to do with that. Everybody kind of ramped down for a day, and it is a lesson to a football team that you've got to be able to flip the switch. You've got to be able to take a day off, then come back the next day and be at full speed. Uh, so the... I guess the reports of it being a bad practice was based on that. Offense wasn't executing well early. So when we come back, I do want to dive into that. As a player during training camp, you get that day off. How do you find a way to ramp it back up the next day? This Bronco team couldn't do that. Had to get a stern talking to. We'll talk about all that next. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022. Ready to ride. Here's Chad and Nate. I was uh, upset because it hadn't been going very well, and he felt that, so he brought him up, which was great, um, trying to get those guys back on track, because that's, that's going to happen in a game. It's about how they respond, and, um, you know, it just, again, a slow start, and he came back into the red zone and did a couple good things, so um, you just got to continually uh, battle. doesn't matter what the situation is, just keep battling. Nathaniel Hackett uh, addressing the slow start to yesterday's practice, and you uh, mentioned last segment that you thought that was a good thing, yeah. that you thought this was something that you know happens during a game. Coach Hackett mentions that. Uh, so you don't take it as, you know what, we gave the, the players a day off, they came back flat. You take it as more human nature, football player nature, and then their ability to get a talking to and then find a way to flip the switch and ramp it back up. That's actually good in your mind. I think that's great. Um, so football and, and this offense, we've talked about it a lot, how difficult it is conceptually. There's, you know, the, the time we see them out here on the football field, they are tripling or maybe even quadrupling that time in there, in the classroom, watching film, putting in new plays, going over old stuff, 
you know, and you, and you really have to be mentally dialed into that. And it, it starts to feel like a mental game more than a physical game. You come out here and you want to put it onto the field, but it doesn't always click. Um, but it's easier for it to click when you script it and you're not in pads and you're doing these half-speed practices. All of a sudden you put on pads and a helmet. Whoa, it's a different ball game because you are getting hands on your chest. You know, you are getting hit. You're all getting thudded up. You are getting bodies bouncing off you. The helmet's cracking against each other. It's a different visceral reality out there when you have the helmet, the mouthpiece, and the shoulder pads on. So um, I think that during the course of a game, you're going to drop a play or you're going to call a play. It's going to get stuffed. You're going to ha- have an incomplete pass. You're going to overthrow a receiver. There's going to be a miscommunication because you're going to see a coverage you weren't expecting or hadn't prepared for or didn't di- or didn't see or was disguised well. One of you thought it was cover two. One of you thought saw thought it was cover four, whatever it is. And so, yes, these are things that happen in a game. If everything is too clean for me, if everything's too clean in practice, I'm suspicious with that. I want to see mistakes in practice because you correct them now and you don't have to correct them in the game. You correct them before you see the game. So, yes, I think that it was a good thing yesterday that it wasn't perfect. And the fact that Russell called him up felt like Nathaniel Hackett said he felt that Nathaniel Hackett wasn't happy. And he ended up being the mouthpiece for that feeling. So, obviously, they're connected in a way that's, I think, leaps and bounds ahead of what you would expect from Two guys have only been together for two or three months, you know, four months. So uh, I like it when things don't go perfect out here. It means you can clean it up. Now, Bill Cower, uh, I didn't catch on my first couple years in the league, but he was always a coach to essentially set us up. He knew the day after a day off, chances are there was going to be a slow start. So uh, he would... Uh, you know, wait for the perfect opportunity, uh, a missed assignment, uh, somebody jumping off sides. We're going to start this practice over from stretch. And we would literally blow the horn, go back inside, wow. run back out, and start practice over from stretch. Everyone's like, Damn. yes. But it, it, it got the energy going. Then it ended up being a great practice after that. Now, when I went back to Pittsburgh for year 14, I was completely hip to that. And I was like, here it comes. Here it comes. (laughs) We're going to start this practice over from stretch. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. So uh, it was performative. How far into practice did this happen? It was usually uh, maybe uh, right after special teams. So it was uh, some kind of uh, nine on seven, some kind of period like that where we, you know, again, he was just hoping to have somebody screw something up uh, so he could yell and scream and get us to start practice over from stretch. Do you think it was all a shtick? Like if, if some, like if it would have been a perfect practice, would he still have done it? Uh, he found a way. I think so. I, I think he discusses it. He with, jury-rigged it to yes, find a way. Yes, he jury rigged it or Jerry rigged it, which we got a great education yesterday from the text line. Thanks to all the texters for that information. Uh, yeah, so the the Bill Cower thing was performative, but it was also based on his football experience. After a day off, you come back, it doesn't tend to be the crispest practice. There's, there's some sloppiness with that. And so uh, there was sloppiness yesterday for this Broncos team after their first day off. Uh, Coach Hackett's getting a little, little peeved. Russell Wilson senses that, calls them up. Uh, gets the rally and cry going, and then practice goes on and gets better after that. Uh, how do you think that – what do you think about that Russell Wilson stepping in for the coach? Every coach says, hey, I want my leaders to lead, uh, but did the coach want the opportunity to say something there, or was it a great opportunity for Russell to step in and further assert his leadership on this team? 
Great opportunity for Russell to do exactly what he did. He, he is the leader of this offense. He's the guy in the huddle calling the plays. He touches the ball every day. Obviously, he's the he's the main squeeze around here. And so the, the fact that he can pull everyone in and have a... I don't, I don't know how stern his tone was, but to communicate the message that that ain't good enough. What we were just doing there, that wasn't good enough. That's not to our standard. We got to get this thing going. You know, come on, guys, let's go. Let's go. Broncos on three, one, two, three. Let's ride. You know, whatever <laughs> whatever he does. But, um, no, I think it was really good because, it, it, look, we're hearing this quote going around a lot yesterday and today about good teams are led by coaches, great teams are led by the players. I got here in 2003, and uh, we, we never did win a Super Bowl, but we had a good team, uh, especially those first three years I was here. And they were led by the players because, we, I, you know, Coach Shanahan never had to be like, hey, guys, the standard that I'm looking for is for you to compete at, a, you know, right. he didn't have to do that. There were veterans at every position group doing that. For us, it was Rod Smith as a receiver. You know, Al Wilson was a, a linebacker. Trevor Price was on the D-line. Um, Tom Nalen was an offensive lineman. Like, Mike Anderson was a running back. Jake Plum was the quarterback. Jason Elam was the kicker. Like, so, so there were a variety of veterans who held younger players to account when we had bad practices. Rod Smith would be a guy who would do that, you know? It doesn't have to be the quarterback, but, but it's good that it is, and it's good that it's this guy because he's the new guy. So I think a new guy sometimes, and I know Jake had this a little bit, had to step in and, and, and figure out where he belonged. you got to be yourself. You don't want to step outside of yourself to try to be a leader. You want to be the leader you, you are through your own personality. But it was also a different situation for Jake coming in here to, to the exact team I just described with all this veteran leadership, a coach who had been here for 10 years and had two Super Bowls under his belt. This is a tabula rasa here. Blank, blank slate. Ooh, look at you. Uh-huh. Okay, this is, we are forming a new culture. Who are going to be our leaders? We don't know yet. So put up your hand and take charge. That's what Russell did in the middle of practice, and I really do appreciate that. Because it does, it's a little break in the circuit. Because practice can be so predictable, following the script, one period to the next. You wait for the air horn, you go to the next thing, and you just kind of, Tr- you know, plodding along and trying to get through it. And sometimes when someone breaks that circuit, pulls you up and says, hey, Come on, let's go. Snap out of it. That can be the thing you need to get going. So based on yesterday's practice, the slow start, and then the uh, picking up uh, of the, I guess, tempo and, and energy after getting and talking to from Russell Wilson, now today's full pads. Now today's not just uh, shoulder pads like yesterday, but shoulder pads and pants. So uh, we will get a chance to see how they respond uh, from the talking to from Russell Wilson, but also how they respond to putting on those pads. It is, uh, I talked about this yesterday, it is remarkable how the brain works. You put on full pads, suddenly you can't remember everything that you just went over in the classroom. It, uh, it occupies a lot of mental space in your brain, the wearing of the pads and the contact that comes with that. So we'll see how this uh, team responds here today. Nate and I will talk about that next. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022, ready to ride. Here's Chad and Nate. I think the accountability factor here at the Denver Broncos has changed dramatically. There's been a sense of urgency since I showed up in April. I think that everyone can feel that sense of urgency. Um, the 10-week period of OTAs, I mean, that was crazy, man. The amount of work that we got in and the amount of strides that we made in that OTA period was because of urgency and accountability. And that starts with Russell. It starts with QB1. And he's done a great job ever since he set foot here of holding everyone accountable. But the thing he does best, he holds himself accountable first. And I have a lot of respect for that. Dalton Reisner talking about uh, the 
raise of the accountability factor being brought by Russell Wilson. Do you think it's just a pure accountability, or is there a confidence that comes with having Russell Wilson as your quarterback, therefore you want to make sure that you do your part and you're not the person that holds this thing back in the past. Uh, I think there was clearly a lack of confidence at the quarterback position. Uh, when there's lack of confidence there, there's lack of confidence about winning, which then begins to drag the whole thing down. So it's not just necessarily Russell Wilson walking around the guys and holding people accountable, like physically holding them on the wall. you got to do this! Right. But it's just the confidence that comes from, hey, we got a chance to win with this dude. Let's all, you know, ri- rise and rise up to this occasion. Yeah, I think it is a, an interesting, like, psychological discussion because 32 teams in the NFL, right? And there's about 2,000 NFL players. These guys are all trying to stay in the NFL. Yeah, there's a, you know, your 10% guys who are just like very secure and uh, are going to have long, fruitful careers. But a lot of dudes are just trying to make it day to day and be, uh, you know, uh, receive a pension, uh, play well enough to stick around personally. And so at what point do your team goals actually become Important. At what point do you think, okay, it's not just about what I can do on the field to stick around for me and my family and, and my life. It's about what we can do together that, that, that supersedes my own journey. And when a guy like him comes in, who's a, a special individual, not just with his track record on the field, first quarterback ever to 100 wins. He's got a Super Bowl. He's been to two, nine Pro Bowls, I think, eight or nine. Um, but also the aura that he brings with him, the expectations that come with him. It's not like guys didn't want to work hard and be good football players before he got here. But now, now the expectation is that you got to win a Super Bowl. And I don't think the expectation was that you got to win a Super Bowl with Drew Locke. Nope. Or with Teddy. Nope. Or with any of these fellas who who, who proceeded. Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch. Yeah, uh, Case Keenum. Um, any of these guys who, who, who followed Peyton. There was a vacuum left by Peyton. And that's a whole other discussion. Like, why did the team fall apart after Peyton left? Well, they were looking for that leadership, that void, and he lifted everyone up. And then after he was gone, it was like, okay, well, what do we do? Well, Russell has focused these guys on the task, and that is winning football games, not just being good pros and finding a way to, you know, uh, stick around individually, but to do something special as a team. And I think, uh, you know, it's not just offense that's that's learning from him. It's the defense that gets to go against him every day and want to prove themselves against him. They they have egos as well. These guys are, are professionals with a lot of pride. And so when they step out on the field, the defense with Russell Wilson, they want to shut him down. You know, they want to show that they're better than Russell. And that makes everyone better, too. So um, I think Russell, look, like the the crap we gave him over the last four months with all the content and the off-the-field off stuff, to me, I, I've kind of forgot about that over the last week, you know, just seeing the team out here. Russell hasn't been putting out any content. Content. He's had a couple pictures. No big deal. It hasn't been a distraction. He's been, by all accounts, very professional, um, very gracious with his time, putting in all the extra work and making himself available for not just – his teammates and his coaches, but the fans out here and the media as well. So I think it's just a great example to show everyone in the building who might be being pulled in different directions in their lives that there's another way to do it and watch how he does it. From a coaching perspective, when you have that guy on your roster, uh, it just makes everything so much easier. Uh, In New England, Bill Belichick yelled at Tom Brady. Um, And so then Bill Belichick could then yell at everyone else. Do you think we're going to hear Coach Hackett yell at Russell Wilson? I don't think so. 
I don't think so. What was that throw? Because Russell did have a couple questionable throws yesterday. Yeah, yeah he, he didn't get off to a great start early he did not. either. You did not. Yeah, so it wasn't just him like, oh, my gosh, I'm perfect, and why are you guys failing me around me? No, he needed to pick his game up as well. So part of like what Coach Hackett was talking about, how he was upset that the offense wasn't doing well and right. Russell felt that, he was probably upset with Russell. Probably. And Russell felt that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so he didn't want to come bring everybody up and then yell at Russell uh, or everybody and look at Russell. You know what I'm saying? So so I think Russell felt that he wasn't doing well enough either. And having that self-awareness to know when you're not holding up your end of the bargain, which I imagine for a superstar isn't easy. True. Like so, because you were a superstar in the NFL on your team. Thank you. Did you know? when you weren't doing well and did you feel like accountable to your players when you weren't playing well oh absolutely i recognize that you know my the impact of, of what i did was more than just me playing my position uh i you know was trying to lift the standard of the entire linebacker core and therefore the entire defense uh yeah on one hand i'm just one dude out there trying to make tackles but on the other hand everyone's looking to me for leadership and as an example of uh how to have your assignments down how to play hard and tough and physical how to run to the ball every single play so yeah i held myself to that standard because i wanted everyone else to at least try to come close to what i was able to do not everybody's gifted the same way uh heck i can't even take credit for being 6'3 245 pounds thanks mom and dad i appreciate the hookup you know i just i I, I didn't ask for this body. I was just given this. Awesome. So now I can go out there and do the things that I do. But not everybody's gifted the same way. But we all can try hard. We all can focus in the classroom. We all can be professional. So at the very least, I couldn't demand that you play the way that I play. But I could certainly demand and have expectations that we are all prepared when we, when we come out here to practice. We've done everything we possibly can to maximize whatever ability and the DNA that our parents gave us along the way. Yeah. And no matter how hard they work out here, no matter, you know, no matter how many conversations they have like that during practice and how accountable everyone feels, this is a work in progress that could take a while to get going. Justin Outen, the uh, offensive coordinator, said yesterday that, look, we've been seeing the offensive line shuffling around trying to figure out who's, who's, who's the starting right guard, for example. Right. He said that, hey, this might, this might go all the way into the season. We might be shuffling. This might be a competition that goes into the start of the season. That's to me, says that this offense might not be ready at the start of the season. We might not see this offense playing well right off the bat. This is a thing that's going to take a while to crystallize, and we have to be patient with that. That's why I think the defense of this team and the fact that they've been winning these days is a good sign. This is the strength of this team right now. Not Russell Wilson in the offense, but this Broncos defense is the strength of this team. You see it. I've seen it every day I've been out here. Um, and I know... I think the defense has pretty much won every day so far. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think I would agree with that, and we talked about this before camp even kicked off. The defense is just simply uh, a little simpler and easier at the start of camp from a mental load perspective. Uh, therefore, they can go out and play faster, a little bit more carefree and careless. While the offense, and we've talked about this as well, just takes time to build. There's an intricacy to offense that just simply isn't there on defense. Can defenses be complicated? They can. Um, but we're not to the phase where that's happening. So therefore, they are a little bit more mentally free to fly around. And the offense is still trying to learn some of these bits there um but you know the training camp process and we joked about it the other day when we were going into new school football versus you know uh you and your old school football mentality stuff get your head out of here <laughs> but there's the, a child walking in front of me right yeah, now, so i didn't finish that statement uh, thank you thank you very much for not doing that resolve 
it's not built by everything being smooth and great. And I joked, I think it was day two or day three, about we're at that phase in training camp where everything's great. Everyone came back in great shape, expecting a great camp. We got great, this is the greatest team I've ever been on. This is the greatest assembly of players I've ever been around. Everything's great, 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 great. Well, then yesterday things weren't so great. Right. And now that it begins to test your resolve. And as a football player, you've got to have a a reserve, a reservoir of resolve within you that you need to be able to pull out and, and, and tap into. Uh, when we would do conditioning in New England, uh, Bill Belichick would say, we got to put some money in the bank so we can pull it out later in the season. And resolve is the same way. You've got to fight through adversity. You've got to have some tough moments. You've got to recognize when you're not getting and hitting the standard that is expected of you. Therefore, you, you dig a little deeper and you pull something out despite being sore, despite maybe feeling a little mentally overwhelmed, despite it being the first day of pads and you're kind of still feeling your way through that. These pants are extra tight and they're itchy and my shoulder pads aren't quite, you know, they're not melted to my body just yet. I haven't banged on them enough where they feel comfortable. And you got to fight through all that and develop this deep sense of resolve to be able to pull that out as the season goes along when you need it, particularly in fourth quarter football games. So the adversity part, the toughness part, the making mistakes part, the uh, Jerry Judy getting the ball stripped away from him on day one and it being an interception for Justin Simmons, those kinds of things are usually something that you refer back to uh, later on in a moment of reverse, uh, adversity and then begin to pull some resolve out of those moments. Yeah, yesterday I was so so part of the part of the reason why I thought yesterday was good for the offense was our number one receiver is Corlin Sutton. And Corlin Sutton yesterday to me took a step forward because he was going after balls that were high, he was he was laying out, he was playing football out there. He was hitting the ground, he was bouncing up, he was trying to collect his wind. He beat Pastor Tan on a touchdown back there. He got one knocked out of his hands. That happens. But to me, Corlin Sutton's the guy we got to get cooking on this offense. Jerry Judy, sure. He's a discussion because he was the top, he was the top pick in, in 2020, and he hasn't lived up to our expectations. So we've been talking about will, will Jerry Judy pan out. But to me, it's Corlin Sutton is going to be the difference with this offense. Tim Patrick is steady. He's steady Eddie. We know who he is, and he's always going to be in the right spot and catch the ball. But Corlin Sutton has this big play potential. He has the big body. He has the speed. He has the jumping ability. He has the hands. we got to get him going. Last year at this time, he was he was dealing with a gimpy leg, and he didn't look right. But he, he pushed through it, and he played every game last season. And that's a testament to his toughness and his heart and his focus and dedication to get back out here. And this season, this training camp, is where he sheds all that skin. He forgets about that injury and, and, and remembers the player that he was or is. But the stuff that he was doing prior to that injury, going up high and grabbing those balls. And I thought yesterday, Corlin Sutton played football. And I'm anxious to see him continue to go that way because he's going to lead their charge for those receivers as well. And those guys can fall in. Uh, just no more uh, picking up the chair and shuffling drills. <laughs> do you think they're going to do like a sofa drill today or like an ottoman drill? What piece of furniture are they bringing out? Probably a love seat. Okay. Yes, because you got to love your teammates. It's going to be a love seat. It'll be a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek from Coach Azani today with his wide receiver drills. Uh, when we come back, the Broncos have uh, added a champion to their ownership group. Does this, you know, does this bring success on the field? Nate and I will talk about that next. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022. Ready to ride. Here's Chad and Nate. There is an addition to the uh, 
Walton Pinner Ownership Group for the Denver Broncos. Uh, Sir Lewis Hamilton, Sir Lewis Hamilton, uh, F1 racer, seven-time champion F1 racer, has joined the ownership group. Um, I've long talked about how ownership matters, how ownership is important, how ownership can actually pay dividends on the field. Uh, when I first heard the news this morning, uh, Mike was talking about it with Sean Moreno. Sean was sitting in for Mark. Mark's still out uh, in, in Southern California doing his uh, Fox NFL Summit as they prepare for the broadcast season. Um, I thought this is kind of like the whole J-Lo owning a piece of the Miami Dolphins. It's a celebrity thing trying to grab some appeal from a certain segment of uh, folks who are interested in that particular person. Um, but it's not? You're ah, telling me it's not that? I think this one's a little bit different. In that, uh, you know, I, do I think Stephen Ross and J-Lo are friendly out in Miami? Perhaps they are. But in this case, Russell Wilson was out doing uh, advertising, endorsing for in, in Monaco. Uh, so he's friends right. with Sir Lewis Hamilton. Sir Lewis Hamilton owns a baller place up in the mountains where the Waltons own a baller place up in the mountains here in Colorado. Coincidence? I don't think so. Yes. So so you got a guy who's got a couple hundred million dollars behind his name, who's got a tremendous international following, mm. who is friendly with the quarterback, who's friendly with other people, uh, pieces of the ownership, who runs in circles uh, and, and runs in uh, the same area of some of these other folks who are involved in the ownership group. So I think it's less of a celebrity tag on and more of a, okay, there's a genuine friendship slash interest here that could actually be beneficial and have um, at the very least endorsement advertising possibilities. Okay. Um, does Sir Lewis Hamilton come down here and address the team and inspire them? I don't see that. Now look guys, what you gotta do, you gotta get off those blocks. You gotta put your hand up there right next to his shoulder pad. You gotta yank down like you're, like you're shifting into third gear right there. Come around the corner. Like that, right? That was well done. Um, okay, so so it's not a PR stunt, you're saying. So this is an actual thing. Like, what what would be his role? You're talking about advertising, national market, or like international marketing? Is he going to grow the game in, London, or in England, for example? Because, you know, the NFL wants a footprint there. But how is he going to be involved with the Denver Broncos? That is, I, again, I, I see it more on the endorsements. Uh, spreading the, the word side of things and not actually coming down here and being part of the day-to-day -day ownership of the Denver Broncos. I think ownership, there has to be somebody from the ownership group who's in the building every day, some kind of representative. Mr. Kraft was in the team meeting every morning in New England. Uh, Mr. Rooney was at practice every day that he was in town in Pittsburgh. Those kind of things pay dividends. But uh, to expect uh, Lewis Hamilton to be here at UC Health Training Center, I think is an uh, uh, unrealistic expectation. But to him, for him to be over in Europe and, you know, advertise for the Broncos before the game in London this year, yeah, it just makes sense. That's an awesome one. Uh, I have no idea how the uh, endorsement dollars go for getting your logo on one of his F1 cars. I'd imagine that's pretty well tied up. And, uh, you know, if I'm... I'm not sure who he drives for. Is it Mercedes-Benz or whoever he drives for? I'm pretty sure they're not going to want a giant Bronco logo splashed on that thing. Right. Um, but, you know, could it be a patch on one of his, his uh, fireproof suits or something on his helmet? 
I could see that as well. F1 is an immensely popular sport around the world, despite its lack of popularity here in the U.S. So this move to add him to the ownership group, again, I'm not sure if it, mo- it raises things from a football perspective, but it certainly raises awareness and increases the brand awareness internationally because of who he is overseas. So do you think that it was Russell Wilson who brought him on board? And if so... Do you have a problem with a player influencing ownership groups like that? Yes, you know I do. Yeah. You know I do. Well, break it down, man. Why do you got a problem with uh, that? Players and owners, man, I, I think it's a, it sets up an ugly precedent, maybe not for that particular interaction, but for the rest of the locker room. Um, you know, from an ownership perspective, you've got to be able to uh, make moves that are untied to emotion that are all based on the benefit to the football team. Uh, now things get cloudy. Uh, we saw the picture of uh, Russell Wilson. Uh, he was with, uh, gosh, part of the ownership of group, uh, George Lucas's uh, wife. Yeah. Uh, um, so they were overseas. Uh, at, uh, maybe it was Wimbledon, I think. Mm. Uh, so he's hanging out with the part of the ownership group. Now he's friendly uh, with uh, another part of the ownership group. Uh, these things can get a little contentious with contract negotiations, things like that. And if you are seen as not just a part of the locker room, but you're a part of the ownership group, that can set up some of that resentment and some of that ugly stuff that happened in Seattle. And I know, you know, everyone here in Bronco land knows who Russell Wilson was coming in to becoming a Denver Bronco versus where he grew into in, in Seattle. At the same time, part of that resentment in Seattle in the locker room came from the fact that Russell Wilson was upstairs talking to Pete Carroll in ways that other players couldn't. was because Russell Wilson was friendly with ownership in ways that the rest of the players weren't. And so was it jealousy? Was it just resentment? Was it, hey, this is not how things are supposed to go? I don't know what the actual emotion was, but I do know it caused a rift in that locker room that I would love to not have repeated here with the Denver Broncos. So text or text, and then I don't love this for the Broncos right now. This is becoming a circus. Do you agree with that, that it's a circus? That it's, that it's not about the ball? It's more about the, the lights, camera action, the glamour and glitz, and the camera tricks? Ah, uh, circus. Uh, you know, if uh, all those pieces of the ownership group are here at practice, that's going to feel like a circus because there's Condoleezza Rice. You know, there's George Lucas. You know, I mean, there's, there's, when you put it like that, you got Condi, yeah, you got George Lucas, and now Lewis Hamilton. You got Lewis Hamilton. You got you who's know, next? Yeah, I mean, who is next? Robson in the ownership group. Yeah, Robson Walton may not be the celebrity name of some of those other people, but he's got seventy billion dollars behind his name. Yeah, it is a circus. They'd be private security. They probably land in a helicopter over there where the where the offensive linemen practice on that far field. Yeah, that would be a circus. Um, you know, same time helicopters, the NFL practicing new that's what jerry jones does so we can avoid the the downtown track the traffic of dallas so uh if this is how you want to run your team uh who am i to tell you not to um but ultimately the best advertisement for your team the best way to represent your team well is to go out and kick butt and play great football and the further you go away from that uh that that center core focus of your entire organization uh yeah, then it becomes a distraction and becomes a circus i did hear that they're thinking of bringing kim kardashian on as well <laughs> uh they're still trying to work out the particulars of that true to form the first guy out on the field again today number 13 caden davis wide receiver rookie w- receiver from northwest missouri state he's out here catching balls he's got a, a ball 
boy throwing them balls from different angles. Um, when we used to do receiver drills, or when I used to do like ball catching drills in college, we'd work the clock. Okay, so I'm standing and facing yep. you, and you picture a clock around me, mm-hmm. and you are throwing me the ball and trying to hit every number yep. every time. So I'm working all my whole catch radius. That's what he's doing out there, and also our boy. The Predator. The Predator. Quinn Miner's out here all alone in the middle of the field. Uh, down on the knee. Oh, he's up. He, he's taking quick pass sets there. Yeah, he's, got his, he's, he's got his uh, work cut out for him. Every day going against Draymond Jones and DJ Jones. The Predator has been uh, most days the second guy out. Um, if, if not second, he's third. Uh, last couple days working on his quick pass sets. Starts on a knee. Gets into his stance and works his quick pass sets. Uh, Draymond Jones, I think, uh, sometimes those training camp battles, as much as you hate going against a great guy every day in practice, uh, and sometimes it'll, it'll actually, once the games come around, make the games a little bit easier yeah. for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Steve Hutchinson, my Hall of Fame teammate with the Seattle Seahawks, talked about the battles that him and John Randall, another Hall of Fame teammate, had in Seattle and how uh, John Randall took Steve to the next level of his game. He wouldn't have been in the Hall of Fame without going against John Randall for two training camps in a row. The amazing repertoire of pass rush moves and quickness uh, that John Randall operated with turned Steve Hutchinson from a great player to now a Hall of Fame player. So I'm not saying that's going to be the case for, for Quinn Miners, but it's certainly an, an opportunity for him to see what quickness is like. Draymond Jones has given that entire offensive line difficulty all training camp long. You're going to be better. Uh, one of the standard cliche phrases that are all, almost every football facility wall somewhere in the facility is iron sharp as iron. Mm. And when you battle every day at practice, you get a chance to sharpen your sword up so you can prepare for battling somebody other than your own team. Uh, I want to circle back to this um, ownership conversation uh, real quick about relationships with players. Ownership, relationship with players, and how that makes you feel uncomfortable. Text your texting in. What about Pat Boland's relationship with John Elway? That seemed like a very, um, I don't know, it worked out, Chad. So what, what say you about that? Uh, I, I just, I, again, I, I just don't think it's advantageous uh, for players and owners to to be hanging out. And but even like a quarterback who's going to, and, and Russell Wilson, when he signs his new contract, okay, is going to be a quarter of a billion dollars. Yeah. So if you're investing that kind of a money in a guy, don't you want to get to know him? Don't you want to be, I don't know, in his life? Yeah, I, I think you want get, to get to know this person. There's a way to get to know them without singling out this guy for special treatment in a stark contrast to the rest of the locker room. That's where the line lies. Uh, you know, was Mr. Kraft and Tom Brady, were they quite friendly? Obviously, Tom played there forever. They got to know each other really well over the years, but they weren't hanging out. They weren't, uh, you know, Tom wasn't invited to the Kraft's house for the Christmas party. Those kind of things. There has to be some kind of separation with these things uh, because, again, you need to, as the leader of the organization, the leader of the football team, you need to be one of the guys in the locker room. And the more time you spend upstairs, the less you become one of the guys and one of them. You want to be one of the guys, not one of them. Because them is who fires people. Them who's who's what cuts people. Them who's is the guy who rejects your contract offer from your agent and says, no, I'm only paying you this. So are you one of us or are you one of them? Yeah, to me, it's bo- it boils down to wins, man. Can you win ball games? If so, all this behavior is going to be um, brushed under the rug. But you're absolutely right. I don't think Russell... Ha- I think it's too late for him to be one of them, one of the guys, right? just okay. based on how things are going. But I think guys are going to accept it uh, because 
it's going to lead to better football. If it doesn't lead to better football, woohoo! there's a star in brewing. There we go. Uh, we come back, we have our distraction segment, and I'll be talking about uh, the rough road of a rookie, particularly if you fall behind early. That's next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.